Remember how many times in Judges, a bunch, um, it says, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what they thought was right in their own mind. There, there was no king for them to follow. They didn't worship God to seek after God, to follow him. And so they did their own thing. And it was not, it was not good for any of them. <laughs> it, hurt, it hurt everybody involved. So Judges 10, uh, verse, chapter 10, verse 6 is a really good example. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. Now, last week when we were talking about them, all they were doing was serving the gods of the Philistines, right? All they, were, they were serving the Baals and the Ashtaroths. Now they're serving all these other gods. They were supposed to come into the land and drive out everybody that lived there, which would drive out all of these religions. And God didn't... It wasn't just that he hated these false religions. It was that he didn't want Israel to mix in and forget about him. He says to Moses several times, I'm a jealous God. And jealous means, I just want you all to myself. I don't want you to wander off. It's not, you know, uh, sixth grade, middle school jealousy. It's, it's this genuine, oh, it, it's just so much better for you if you're just with the Lord. Stay close. So verse 7, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites, and they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. The Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and Benjamin, the house of Ephraim, so that the house of Israel was severely distressed. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and we have served the Baals. <gasps> wow. So they have this revival of crying out to God. Right? I mean, how many of us, this is our whole life cycle, right? No, not like, daily cycle, right? We do our own thing. We do wrong. Oh, gosh, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. You know, we apologize to other people. We say, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? And we want everything to be right. This is one of those times you kind of, God is pretty, um, it, it gets a little bit more real than it usually gets. Listen to this. The Lord said to the people of Israel, Didn't I save you from the Egyptians and the Amorites, from the Ammonites and from the Philistines and the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Mayanites oppressed you? And you cried out to me and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and you have served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. Wow. That's, that's uh, Judges 10, 14. That's one of the scariest verses. I was looking over that and I was just like, gosh, praise God that because of the death of Jesus for my sins and the seal of the Holy Spirit, God will never answer me with that answer. Because imagine, I mean, that's, that's why he's, he's turning them over. And he says, if you want to worship false gods, go ask them. Go ask them to take care of you. 
The people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us. So they put away all their foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. Isn't that wild? They were saying they were sorry, but they hadn't put away their false gods. What? This is, that's like the alcoholic saying, I'm never going to drink again, and he's still got beer in his fridge. It's like, no, come on, do something different so you don't sin again. They put away the foreign gods from among them, and they served the Lord, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Isn't that a funny way to put it? He was impatient. So that word impatient sticks out to me. And I'm like, that's just a funny word. Like, he's impatient with their misery. So I get my Hebrew dictionary out and I start looking stuff up and trying to figure out what this means and what that means. And it gets, it gets really fun. The word impatient is two words that means to breathe and to be discontent. And so you keep looking around and you figure out where else are those two words used and what other thing. And it's kind of the whole... Um, it's the sound you make when you're lying in your bed and there are cats fighting outside at 3 a.m. The last sound you make before you get out of bed. <sighs> it's a discontented breath. It's a... <sighs> and notice, God is not heaving the discontented breath over the sins of Israel, he's heaving a discontented breath over the misery that is being inflicted upon Israel. Because he knows it's their fault, that they did it. They brought it on themselves. But he is merciful and he is compassionate and he made a covenant. He made a promise to Abraham and the promise, the covenant wasn't with Abraham. It was a covenant with himself about Abraham that he would always take care of Abraham and his offspring, his descendants. And so that is, gosh, Israel, you're making this a lot harder than you have to, but I am committed to you. I have made a covenant with myself concerning you and I will save you. So in this period of history, life is all about these city-states. And you have a city, and it has a wall, and it's impenetrable, and then there's another city that might be five miles away, but they are completely separate from you, independent. You're not, you're not sharing things. You might live off of each other, and you might do trade with them, but when push comes to shove, everybody's our enemy, and we're all on our own. And you're all trying to figure it out. Um, there's this whole big episode of chapter 11 where they're fighting over land and they're, they're fighting over who gets to fight where and who's doing this. And this guy Jephthah argues and he says to the Ammonites all of this history of Hebrew history about the Hebrew God gave us this land and he worked these miracles and he did these things and he delivered us out of Egypt and he told us to go this far and we've gone this far and this is our land and you're the God, you know, you serve Dagon or you serve 
the bales or whatever, and that's your land, and we're not going to come on it. But it shows, even in this time, these guys still remembered that he even talks about Balak and Balaam. Balak and Balaam were back in numbers. So the stories are being preserved. They haven't forgotten. They haven't forgotten Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. They haven't, re- they haven't forgotten all the things that happened. They still know they're just not obeying God. They're just not living it. And um, so that's Judges 11.22. Jephthah, he says, The Hebrews coming out of Egypt took possession of all the territory of the Amorites. And he lists off all this land. And then, uh, oh, Chemosh, that's the one he refers to. Verse 23, 11.23. The Lord, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites from before his people. And are you to take possession of them? Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? And all the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess. Now are you any better than the son, than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? That all refers to this event in, uh, remember the guy whose donkey talked to him? That was Balaam. And Balaam was a hired prophet that Balak hired to prophesy against Israel. So he remembers all of that. It's not lost. But they're just not obeying God. They're not following him. And gosh, what a cautionary tale for us, right? I mean, when we, th- when we think about it, when we chill out, when we slow down, we think through, we remember the Lord's with us. Remember the Lord's always helping us. But sometimes in the heat of the moment, we forget about it, right? We try to do our own thing. This is, this is us all over again. So this Jeff, the guy, instead of going to war, he argues with them about why they need to have the land because you, your God gives you your land. Our God ran some of your people out, but now it's our land because of our God. But then a fight breaks out because that's how everything was handled then, right? It was just war, war, fight, fight, fight. This is Judges 11.29. The spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. And he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow. Oh, 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 don't read that part yet. (laughs) The spirit of the Lord is upon him. And all of this land that he's passing through is land that Joshua led the conquest. And they took. And so he's going back through and he's taking it back again from where everybody's kind of let the Philistines in and let the Chemosh worshipers back in. He's fighting and the spirit of the Lord is on him. And he is doing what God wants him to do. And it's beautiful. And it's like, this is the the kingdom of heaven is happening here. But then Jephthah, this is verse 30, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. And he said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now, I wrote the word idiot in my notes. He didn't have to do that. The Spirit of the Lord was already on him. He was already having victories. He was already doing the Lord's will. And it almost seems like, you know, 
I, I need to make this really spiritual and I really need to make this religious. And so I'm going to make this declaration, right? Kind of like um, Herod says to his, his uh, daughter Salome, whatever you want, up to half the kingdom I will give you. And she asks her mom and her mom says, ask for John the Baptist's head. That'd be good. It's like he didn't even have to, I mean, she's, She's doing what she's supposed to do anyway, right? He doesn't have to. He's trying to bring attention to himself. I'll give you, because he looks really good if he's generous and he's giving and he can give away stuff, right? Um, when Elvis would give somebody a Cadillac, does anybody remember the names of any of the people that Elvis gave a Cadillac to? No, whose glory was that for? That was the Elvis's glory that he was giving away Cadillacs. No slide on Elvis. Um, he's awesome. Uh, but sometimes generosity can be about the person giving, not the person receiving. And that's not really, it's, it's all about the Lord, right? So this guy, Jephthah, he's like, I'm gonna, and he probably didn't think this through. But something in him was like, I just, I want to make this really religious. I want to make this really spiritual. God, whatever comes out of my house to greet me when I get home. Like, who's that going to be? His dog? They don't have dogs. How could this ever turn out good? Right? I'll offer as a burnt offering. Dumb. Sometimes we are tempted to do this very same kind of thing. Where something is awesome and we make a rash vow. Oh, God. If I get this, then I'll, you know, if I win the Powerball, I'll give 10% of it to the church. And God is just like, you are so generous. Keeping 90% for yourself. I mean, that's what that means, right? Do the math there. Uh, we make these vows. We're like, oh, if, if I just get through this, then I will. And God knows we can't keep these vows. He just wants to, he wants us to, he might want me to win the Powerball just out of his mercy. It's just out of his grace. He's not trying to exchange anything. He didn't need Jephthah's, I don't buy Powerball tickets just as a side. Don't, yeah, no way. Um, he didn't need Jephthah to show how devoted he was. Jephthah was doing the thing that God wanted him to do. So what happens? Uh, he wins all over the place. Which is really interesting because it was God's plan for him to win. It was God's plan for him to destroy all kinds of Ammonites. And when he utters this vow, it kind of messes things up. Because what's God to do? Okay, well, God's like, well, my plan was for you to have victory. And now you just said, if you have victory, you're going to kill your dog. I don't want your stupid dog. Whatever you were thinking. So it... it it's trying to manipulate God, is what it is. He's trying to, to make God do something on his terms. Pretty wild. God doesn't change. In this, in this instance, God is like, you know what? I'm not going to change my mind. I need these Ammonites wiped out. And I put my Holy Spirit on you to do it. And that's how we're going to do it. And there's going to be some consequences to your vow. So he comes home and his virgin daughter comes running out. 
And it's wild because he yells at her and curses her. And it's like, okay, wait a minute, dude. Right? She's celebrating your victory. You made a rash vow. You made this commitment that you shouldn't have. And now you're mad at her. He should be mad at himself. But his daughter is more righteous than he is. Because his daughter says, if you've made a vow to God, you have to keep it. Isn't that wild? So he could have, you know, backed out of it, changed his mind. Oh, no way, I'm not going to do this. Well, the other thing that's just rotten is the people of Chemosh that he was fighting against, they practiced child sacrifice of their virgin daughters. And so in his vow and in his religiosity and all that, he was acting just like the enemies that he was destroying. So she negotiates with him. Uh, She gets two months to go out into the woods and hang out with all of her friends and grieve and mourn, and then she sacrificed, and it's just awful. Again, remember we said, I know, it's terrible. This whole book of Judges is all of Israel becoming less exodus, less numbers, Deuteronomy, God's chosen people, and more just like all the rest of the world, just like anybody else. They keep on fighting. They're fighting over this. They're fighting over that. Um, The Ephrathites come, and they yell at Jephthah. And they say, you went and kicked some Ammonite butt, and you didn't invite us. So now we're going to burn your house down. And it just reveals this is how violent these people are. They're also another tribe of Israel is mad at Jephthah's tribe that Jephthah's tribe went and fought and they didn't invite him. And so now they're going to kill him and burn his house down. And Jephthah is like, don't do that. I called for you guys to come help. You didn't come help. I went and did it myself. The Lord gave us victory. And they're like, well, we're still going to burn your house down. And so he says, no, you aren't. And the civil war breaks out. And so now it's the Ephraimites against the Jephthahites. And they're all fighting. Just, it's crazy. Oh, this is where I had the word idiots in my notes. I had fool under Jephthah. I have idiots under Ephraimites and Jephthahites. All right. We got a little intermission from the bad news to give you some Bible trivia. Okay. Because this is kind of a cool thing. So this is Judges chapter 12. Judges chapter 12, verse 5. Have you ever heard somebody say it was a shibboleth? It's an expression. And, um, and this is where it comes from. And we'll explain what it means. So in our neighborhood, our front yard is Baird Park. And it's spelled B-A-Y-A-R-D. Okay? So when people will come... And they'll say, oh, is it nice living on Bayard Park? What do we know about them? We know that they are not from around here, right? Even better, when you tell people where, you know, how do you get to your church? Well, if you're coming in on the Lloyd and you get to Bainey Camp Road, right? Boahaneh. My favorite is Google Maps. We were trying to find a, a back way to USI, and it kept telling me to turn on SCUT. 
like, Scut Road. What in the world? And then I'm going to turn on Shooty. I'm just going to assume I know a better way than, than Google. Google pronounces Shooty Road, Scut Road. All of those things are things that let you know that person isn't from around here, right? Judges chapter 12, verse 5. The Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. When any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, let me go over, the men of Gilead said, are you an Ephraimite? When he said, no, they said, then say the word Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Oh, they couldn't say the sh in their, in their language. They didn't have the sh sound. Say Shibboleth, and they say Sibboleth. Then they seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. And at that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. Um, I met a guy. I mean, you know, I can't roll my R's. You know, go to the Mexican restaurant. And I ordered a mellow yellow. And the guy was messing with us. And he said, you want a mellow jello? Because the pronunciation, the Spanish, the, the Spanish pronunciation of a J sounds like a Y. So different people, different languages can't say things. I can't roll, I can't roll my R's. I've been listening to a preacher all week, and he rolls every R, and it's beautiful. I can't do that. So I'd be one of these guys, they'd say, you know, say tortilla. And I'd say tortilla, and they'd kill me because I couldn't say tortilla and roll my R and say. So whenever you hear somebody say, that's a shibboleth, that's, this is the exact thing that they're talking about. It's a thing that somebody says that lets them know, lets you know where they're from. You know where they're from just because they said that word. Because of exactly what they said. Oh, yeah, they said that. I know where you're from. All right. So now let's talk about Samson. There's this other awesome thing that happens in Judges 19. It's gruesome and it's horrible. We're totally skipping that. Um, there's some other stuff in Judges that we can talk about another time. But I want to talk about Samson. Samson was a character. He was born in this family. Um, his birth was pretty wild. An angel appeared, told his barren mother, who had no, ch no children. They never thought they were ever going to have any children. He said, you're going to have this child. This is in, gosh, where is this? Judges 13, 19. No, 13, 21. Well, it's all in that, in that area. Um, this angel appears and says, you're going to have a child and he's going to be holy. He's going to be a Nazarite from birth. So a Nazarite, if, you know, um, if we are all Jewish and we had this time where we really wanted God to do something. Or we really wanted to grow in the Lord. Jim and I might take a Nazarite vow. And so we're going to bring an offering. And we're going to shave our heads. And we're going to put our hair that we shave in the offering. And it's going to be this burnt offering. And for that whole time, and then we're going to come to church, and you guys are going to see us, and you're going to be like, oh, Dan and Jim shaved their heads. You guys must be doing a vow. We'll be like, yeah, we are. 
How long is it going to be? And, and it would have a designated amount of days. And for that designated amount of days, we wouldn't cut our hair. And so from our baldness to our regrowth of our hair, however long it was, however long our Nazarite vow was, we wouldn't drink any wine. We, we wouldn't uh, go near any unclean, anything unclean, like no dead bodies. We'd come in contact with no dead bodies. And we wouldn't cut our hair. And our hair would be a symbol of how long we had been doing this vow. And then at the end of that vow time, we'd shave our heads again. And that hair would be like, that's the hair that I grew during my vow. That would be like serious business, right? Then we'd give a bunch of offerings and then our vow would be over. And we'd go back to all of our drinking wine and touching dead bodies like we do. So Samson, his, this angel, tells his parents he's going to be a Nazarite from birth for his whole life. His whole life, he's not going to, don't let him drink any, he, his little uh, um, pre, uh, prenatal, some prenatal care wrapped up in here. The angel tells Samson's mom not to drink any wine. Isn't that wild? He is going to be so wine-free that you can't even drink any wine while you're carrying him. From the moment he's born, don't ever feed him any grapes. No wine ever. Don't ever let him touch a dead body. He's never going to have to sit through a funeral. Um, and you're never going to cut his hair. And that it's almost like the Nazarite vow starts at his conception from the beginning of his life. Wow. And so... He is born and he grows and his parents honor this vow. And even though they're in this totally godless place, right? And there's Philistines all over the place and all this business. And Samson grows knowing that he has been set apart from birth. That he's been set apart. And, you know, why can't I cut my hair, mama? You're, you're holy. You are set apart as holy. And your hair shows that you've been set apart as holy. Well, poor Samson. We had such high hopes for him. Over the course of his life, he does a lot of awful things. And um, remember how I said Jephthah, the spirit of the Lord was on. I'm having trouble saying his name. Jephthah. The spirit of the Lord was on Jephthah to give him victory even when he made stupid vows because God needed Jephthah to do this thing. What the angel said about Samson before he was conceived, God stuck with. God stayed with that. So isn't it wild that early on in Judges, where we, I was earlier, God said, you turned to all these foreign gods you go ask them for help. And then finally the people throw down their gods. They say, no, we're going to follow you. This is, this is decades later. God is like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I've tried the whole, I'm going to bless you as long as you do good thing, and it fails. Now I am going to try to just bless you. And even if you turn astray, even if you, I bless your leaders and they just trash it all, I'm going to stay with them. 
And that's what happens with Jephthah, even though he is just slimy and does this awful thing. And Samson, God's spirit stays with him even when he is terrible. So what's he do? Uh, let's see. What, how should we go through the list? So he gets drunk. Um, he gets drunk a lot for a guy that's never supposed to drink wine. He spends a lot of time drunk. He spends a lot of time um, with all different women doing things he shouldn't do. And that all gets him into a whole lot of trouble. And then uh, there are times where he makes vows and promises that he can't keep. And like I said, we're going to do high speed on this. There's one time where um, he's going to marry this lady and she's a Philistine. And it, it would bring shame on his whole family. He shouldn't marry this Philistine. He's, you know, holy, consecrated to the Lord. And Samson tells his parents, that's who I want to marry, so you figure it out. And then it has this funny little line. They did not know that God was using this to get back at the Philistines. So even in Samson's dis, uh, digression, even in Samson's selfishness, God is still working to do his will. Isn't that wild? Now, we've read Romans, so that doesn't mean we can just do whatever we want and God's grace will abound. Paul says, let it never be so. Let it never be such a way. Um, but it does give us that hope of, you know, Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things to the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That he's going to conform them into his image. That no matter how off we get, God is going to work in us. If we have believed in him at some point, God is going to continue to work in us to, to shape us and to bring us back to him, right? So Samson goes and marries this Philistine lady. And the Philistines don't like him. They don't like him getting married into their family anyway. And uh, they make this wager. They make this bet. And they say, um, let's have a, here we go, let's see. This is verse, this chapter 14, verse 8. No, 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 let's skip down. Verse 10, his father went down to the woman, Samson prepared a feast like the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. So they bring 30, you know, um, Susie is going to marry this foreigner. The foreigner comes because that's what Samson is, right? He's a foreign guy marrying this Philistine woman. So they say, we need to get a bunch of guys here at the wedding. So they go and they get 30 guys and they all come. And Samson says to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and you find it out, I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. So he says to these 30 guys, if you guys can solve my riddle, I will give each of you 30 changes of clothes. That's a really big deal. They were not like us. They didn't shower every day. They did not have a washing machine. Um, most people just had a few changes of clothes if they had more than one. And you just kind of wore what you wore all the time and then you got something new and you wore it. He's going to give each of these 30 guys 30 changes of clothes, okay? So 90, basically 90 garments. But if you can't tell me what it is, 
then you're going to give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. So you're going to give me 30 outfits. And they said, give us your riddle. Well, the riddle involves this whole thing where he killed a lion and then uh, he ripped the lion apart. I explained it to my kids. He ripped this lion apart like it was a rotisserie chicken. Just nothing. He leaves it by the side of the road. He comes back a few weeks later and there's a bee's nest, a beehive in the lion and he eats the honey out of it. So he gives them this riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Well, long story short, which is impossible at this point, um, he tells his wife the answer to the riddle. She's loyal to the Philistines. She's not loyal to him. She's loyal to the Philistines. On the other hand, they said, we're going to kill your father and burn down his house if you don't tell us. So she's also afraid. I wonder if she also doesn't know how strong Samson is. She just doesn't know that he can like rip a lion in half like it's a rotisserie chicken. So she tells the riddle, and all the, guy, the guys win. And uh, Samson is furious. He's like, you figured out my riddle. You cheated. There's no way you could have known what that was. Now i got to give you 90 outfits, and you only had to give me 30. So he leaves, finds a village of 90 Philistines wearing their robes, kills them all. What does he do? Touches all the dead bodies, takes all the robes off of these 90 dead Philistines, shows up back at the wedding, throws down the clothes. He's like, there's your stinking tunics that you wanted because you cheated. Where's my wife? They say, well, you were gone for a long time. We thought you left and you weren't getting married. So we married her off to this other guy. Oh, no. Run. (laughs) Just run now. What's Samson do? He does a totally crazy thing. He gets 300 foxes. Because you don't mess with Samson, okay? He goes and he catches 300 foxes, ties their tails together, ties a torch onto their tails. What in the world? Why would you do this? Okay, they're just going to be crazy. They're going to run around crazy. They're not going to go hide, okay? Uh, that, that's the, the idea here is something vicious. Uh, foxes to Jewish people were kind of like wolves to our culture. They're bloodthirsty. They're killers. We, it's very um, European and Greek to think that a fox is wise. Jewish people, people in this time, uh, they didn't think foxes were wise. They thought they were bloodthirsty killers, And Samson is so tough, he can grab 300 foxes, tie their tails together, light their tails on fire, and then he sets them loose out into their grain fields. So since they can't hide, they're just running around crazy, he burns up their whole food supply. They're furious, right? We just sang a whole song about our harvest and our, you know, things growing in the harvest. Samson just decimated their food supply for these groups of Philistines. So they come after him to kill him. I watched a bunch. Cindy was sitting there by me. I'm watching all these movies of this last night. All these various interpretations. He gets a jawbone of a donkey. Okay? So I want you to picture like this long. And it's like a hammer. Because the, the skinny part of the teeth is real narrow. And then there's this big, heavy wood part up here. So imagine 
Samson, who you don't mess with, has a hammer. And he kills a thousand Philistines. And it is just a a bloodbath. And he comes back. This is in uh, Judges 15, 15. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. And so they are, the Philistines are just sending like platoon after platoon, group, squad after squad. And they are coming after him and he is just beating them and beating them and beating them and beating them. Um, one movie I watched, uh, I really liked the way they did it. He's all done and he just fell to his knees and he just worshiped God because God was his savior. And he gave credit, he gave credit to God for saving him. And, um, and of course, you just see a thousand people piled up all over the place. It's, it's gruesome. Say all that to say, God was using Samson to wipe out the Philistines. God was using Joshua to do it, and Joshua was faithful, you guys. Joshua did it. And then he started to lax off and relax it a little bit. Remember that? And then Caleb said, Joshua, you didn't even take any of these mountains that are full of giants. What's wrong with you? I'm 80 years old. I'll go do it. Joshua said, you can have it. Literally. You can have all that land. Kill them all. It's yours. God was using Samson to do it. So then we have the whole Samson and Delilah thing. And she says, Samson, what's the source of your power? And the awesome thing to say would have been the Lord. The Lord is my source of power. But to Samson, it was his hair. And he's just a little bit off, right? Because his hair was a symbol. His hair never being cut was a symbol of God being with him through all of this stuff. Don't ever drink wine. Well, you got drunk on your wedding night and all this other horrible stuff. God is still with you. Don't ever touch a dead body. Well, you killed and disrobed 90 dudes in this village. and You killed a thousand guys on this road. God is still with you. And so his hair, it wasn't just a symbol. I mean, it was a sign. It was a sign to tell a story, to explain that God was with him from his birth to deliver Israel. So uh, just practically speaking, he was probably had curly hair. These are probably dreadlocks. These are probably not braids. This is probably not, um, sometimes in the movies, you just see this guy with wild long hair. He pro- uh, I'm not going to be fighting a thousand Philistines with wild and crazy hair, right? I'm going to have that, I'm going to have that all nice and neat. Not nice and neat. But at least manageable, not like a madman. So, um, so me and the kid, I told the kids that we always get excited when we see a guy with big long dreadlocks. So we're like, it's Samson, there he is. So you can watch out for that. But that was a sign. That was a symbol. That was a a, a representation. And Samson didn't internalize it. 
he made that the thing where his power was. And he, he might have still given credit to God for it, but God gives me the power through my long hair. And that being the thing, he also shows his loyalty and his fear, right? Because when Delilah says, you don't love me, uh, the Philistines have already barged in on Samson like four times. They tie him down. Oh, he says, if I'm tied down with this, then that's my weakness. And she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumps up and rips the ropes. They chain him. Only if I'm chained can I be weak. And so she chains him to the bed and says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He breaks out of the chains. She says, you don't love me. You aren't telling me the truth. And finally he says, it's my hair. He, uh, so she cuts, the, she cuts the hair off. She says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He can't move. Isn't that wild? So then it's like, was it really his hair? And I don't think it really was his hair. But I think it was God saying, dude, come on. I, I did this, I did this, I did this, I overlooked this thing. And I think God is kind of running out on Samson. You know, um, they're not practicing Levitical law. There's no sacrifice for his sin because they're not participating in any of that. They've gone to, and even Samson's gone and worshiping at false gods because he's marrying these other women from other places and all that business. And so Samson gets taken captive. They gouge out his eyeballs so he can't hurt him. He won't be able to hurt him. And he becomes sort of the court jester in the, in the kingdom of the Philistines. And they, they make sport of him and they laugh at him. Um, and they all, you know, watch him. This is verse 16:21. Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground the mill at the prison. So he's still got some strength. He's like a donkey pushing the wheel around, grinding, grinding out the wheat. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. That little line is our little hope. Because remember, if the hair on his head is a symbol of God's faithfulness to him, and God's mercy towards him, it's saying God was... Remember how God was uh, <sighs> impatient, the impatient sigh? God was doing that for Samson. So they all gather to make an offering, and they celebrate, and they bring Samson out. Bring him out so he can entertain us. And Samson asks this guy that's kind of taking care of him, can you lean me up against the column? I'm tired. You know, can you lean me against the column? Give me a strong column to lean against. And so he does. And he prays to God, God, give me one more chance. Give me one more feat of strength that I can kill these Philistines and I'll die with them. And it says there were 3,000 people in this building. There were people on the main floor and there were people up on the roof. And Samson knocks down this column and the whole building collapses and kills everybody. This is like 
um, if the Pentagon, if the whole Pentagon or all of Congress or it's not just the White House. It's more like the Capitol building. Imagine what it would do to a country if the whole Capitol building wiped out and everybody died in it. It would, it would completely destroy the nation, right? I mean, September 11th hurt us really bad, and that was just a little thing. This is what happened to the Philistines. All of their kings, all of their rulers, all of their high court, all of their families wiped out in a single event. So this is God finally using Samson all the way to the end. So here we have this guy. God was with him. God helped him. But he was not on track with God, right? He did not owe it. God, even though this guy did not obey God, God set him apart to be used from the beginning. Next Sunday we will start to talk about a guy that was set apart from the beginning to be holy and he obeyed God. He was set apart from before his conception to be holy to the Lord, to deliver his people. And it's Jesus. And we're going to see, gosh, in contrast to Samson, who God was with, but never did stuff the way God wanted him to do it. We're going to start looking at Jesus and how Jesus came and everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did pointed towards God the Father. And Jesus so perfectly obeyed God that all of these things, I mean, imagine if you were, you were really patriotic for Israel and somebody was just telling you the book of Judges. And you would hear about Gideon. And you'd be like, yes! And then you'd hear about Gideon. Ugh. <laughs> and then you'd hear about Samson. Yes! And then you'd hear about Samson. Ugh. You'd hear about Jephthah. Yeah! I mean, right? Every one of them. There's never been a man sent by God to do God's will, whose spirit was upon him, that did God's will all the way through to the end, except for Jesus. And so you can see what's building, what's to say over and over? There's no king and everybody did as they saw right. Because they didn't have an example of right. So through Advent, we're going to talk about the king that has come. Right? It's the fulfillment of all the longing of judges happens in Advent and happens in Christmas. So it's fun how it fits. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that though all of history before us and even us today, though we fail you, though we seek after other gods, though we do what is right in our own minds, that you have sent Jesus, the Savior, to die for our sins, that our sins and our wrongdoings and our rebellion against you would no longer count, and that only our goodness and closest to you, only your obedience counts, and so we can rest in you and be secure in you. 
Thank you so much, God, for preserving your word and preserving history that we can learn from your people and learn from the people that you've called over the ages and that we can get closer to you and get to know you better and your long-suffering mercy and your love toward us. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen.